of Deuteronomy. So um, we'll be reading chapter 24, verses 10 till 22. And in our Bible, church Bible, it's on page 166. Well, as you get there, let me just read you the framework. <clears throat> the framework of the book of Deuteronomy. The framework of the book of Deuteronomy is a series of addresses given by Moses to the people of Israel in Moab, where they had stopped at the end of their long desert journey and were about to enter Canaan, the land God had promised them. So let's read on from chapter, uh, I mean, verse 10 to the 22nd. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge you shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you, and it shall be righteousness for you before your God. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourners or to the fatherless or to take widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourners, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourners, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your, of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. 
Good morning again. Thank you again for the welcome. Uh, it's lovely to be here. It was about a year ago that I was here. I don't know if you remember that. It may not stand out to you in your mind at all, uh, but I was. So I was here a year ago and it's, it's lovely to be back. Um, I think most of us have had some experience with children. Well, we all have been one at some point. Uh, but most of us are either parents or grandparents or have friends who have children. And one of the things that if you spend any time at all with kids, you discover very quickly is that kids kind of are all the same. Um, doesn't, in fact, it doesn't matter where they are in the world. They're all the same. Kids love to have fun. They love to play, they're loud, they can be messy, they make crazy decisions about different things at different points in time, but they're a joy and we love them and we're so thankful to God for them and we also know that God has given us as adults a wonderful but important responsibility. And that is, while kids are kids, we know that they are dependent and vulnerable and open to exploitation. Therefore, we have a very important responsibility to care for the children that God loves. That's what we're going to share about this morning. How is it that we do that? And how is it that kids that we know, kids in Australia, are actually different from some of the kids in other parts of the world. Now, I've said that they're the same and they are all the same and I've, I've met kids all over the world. They are all the same. But there's a fundamental difference as well for kids living in circumstances different from kids here in Australia. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to start off by actually meeting one of these kids and, their, and her dad, a little girl called Olin, and her dad, Titus. But let me, let me pray. Dear God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you give us precious gifts. And we thank you for the gift of children. We thank you that they bring joy to our lives. We thank you that they teach us responsibility. We thank you for the open, wide open eyes with which they look at your world. Lord, we, we pray that as you see us, you will see people who care for children the way that you do, the way that you love them. And Lord, we pray that we will be faithful servants of that responsibility. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me introduce you to Olin and Titus. Maybe. Dan menurut saya seorang ayah itu harus bertanggung jawab dalam keluarga Dalam segala apapun yang terjadi dalam rumah tangga ini harus bertanggung jawab Karena dialah satu-satunya untuk bisa dapat berkembang Kalau 
tidak punya ayah anak-anaknya semua berentakan entah tidak tahu di mana sehingga kalau ayah itu mungkin dalam tanggapan saya ayah itu terlalu penting dalam hidup sebuah keluarga Titus is a hard worker he tried to show from his action how he responsibility to feed the family I think he tried through the real action I know that Titus they are sad because deep in his heart he knows that he cannot provide for the children Biar apapun yang terjadi, kalian sayang, tetap sayangmu untuk supaya mereka jangan lari di orang lain rumah diminta makan. Waktu dia bagian mandi di sekolah, baru dia bagian betawi ini ajar dia. Kalau di sekolah harus, ya, betahnya ajar dia begitu, dan kita senang dia tidak malas sekolah. Sponsorship change children's life. We invest for children. They will learn how to have a good character, to change their mindset. I do believe that true compassion, all in will have a strong foundation. She can impact the whole family. I hope through compassion, there is young leaders will come from this island. Lebih penting kalau kita atas kita kepada Tuhan, karena satu-satunya kalau kita andalkan Tuhan bahwa itu nanti tidak ada lagi beban bagi kita. Kalau kita mengandalkan Tuhan, pasti beban itu hilang. Uh, Olin and Titus live in Indonesia. Uh, in fact, in the western end of Indonesia. From the island that they live on at night, you can actually see the lights of Darwin. That's how close they are to us. They are our neighbours. Uh, and the circumstance that they find themselves in is that even though Titus works literally from sun up till sundown as a salt farmer, which is one of the, the few industries on the island where they live, he doesn't earn enough in doing that to feed his family. Imagine that. Imagine as a parent working as hard as you possibly could and still not being able to provide the basic things for your family. But you, can, you hear from his voice, he trusts in God. He trusts that God will bear his burdens. And God does bear the, has borne the burdens of his family through the local church. The local church to them have this wonderful ministry to families and kids who are in the circumstances like Olus and uh, um, Titus and Olin. And uh, they've reached out to that family and they've invited 
Olin to come into a program that's, that's uh, run by Compassion within their church that gives them the support and also gives them food and gives her access to medicine, access to education, as you saw, and ensures that she will grow to be a young woman of God who really flourishes. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful story, and it's a story that's repeated all around our world. Um, there are currently two million children who are being cared for by their local church as part of the ministry of their local church through compassion programs. I'm so excited by that. But it's such a small number because today there are 400 million children who live below the poverty line. That means that their families earn less than $1.90 per day and it means that their parents, no matter how hard they are working, do not have enough for their family to survive. As you can imagine, how could you support a family, feed them, clothe them, house them, give them medicine and an education on $1.90 a day? You cannot do it. Uh, and all of those kids in those families are vulnerable. They're at risk. And it's not how God intends it to be. It's not God's heart that children will actually live that way. God isn't indifferent to it. Grieves him just as it grieves us to see children in those circumstances. And we know that. We know it grieves God's heart because we know as we read his word how much he uh, enables and provides for those who are vulnerable. Those who the Bible often describes as the widow and the orphan. And as we had read for us, the sojourner or the, the foreigner, the alien who's living in a land. And that, that's the passage that we had very helpfully read for us this morning from, from Deuteronomy. And thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and thank you for the context. Um, I think the context is really important. Um, the, the people of Israel have walked through the wilderness for 40 years. They've seen God actually provide for them, firstly by releasing them from Egypt, secondly by providing for them every day with, with um, uh, manna and quail, with water. They've seen that wonderful provision of God. They've got to a point now where they are standing on the edge of the promised land. They are standing there ready to go in, ready to be God's people living in God's place and living under God's rule, under his kingship. They are ready to be a people of God, to be a witness to all of the other countries around them of what it looks like to live under the hand of a loving God. That's where they find themselves. And in our, our Bible reading this morning from Deuteronomy 24, that's where we found ourselves. We, we find ourselves ready to see how God is actually going to do that. What is life actually going to look like in the land of, Egypt, in the land of Israel uh, for those people? And uh, as, as we look at that, we, we get an insight into God's character and into God's heart by the things that God identifies as being important. 
And as, as we were told, the, the whole of the book of Deuteronomy are, are a series of addresses that are given as instruction for the people just before they go into the promised land. This is how you will live because this is the way that reflects God's character. Let me, let me come back to that. But before I do, I want to introduce you to another young girl from Indonesia. Her name is Kezia. Uh, I had the, the privilege almost this time last year uh, of travelling to Indonesia and meeting Kezia and meeting her family amongst uh, a bunch of other different kids. Um, well, not meeting her family, meeting, meeting the people that she's living with. Um, so this is Kezia, as you can see. Uh, Kezia is nine years old. She's probably ten, actually, now. Um, and to say that she's had a hard life in her first ten years would be a, an understatement. Uh, in, in the first year of her life, Kezia's uh, birth parents made the decision that they could not afford to keep her and her siblings. And so they put her up for adoption. And, uh, and she, uh, she spent some time in an orphanage. And uh, fortunately, she was adopted by another family. Uh, now, adoption in Indonesia is a little bit different to adoption in Australia. Um, it's much more, I, I guess, a better description of it would be kind of like fostering, where you take responsibility for a child, but you don't have legal responsibility for that child. Um, so uh, she was adopted by... Uh, a family, and she lived with that family for a number of years. Um, unfortunately, though, about this time last year, or a, a, a little bit earlier, um, well, Kezia was was known by people in her local church. They knew her circumstances. Uh, they knew that family. And it, they became aware that Kezia was actually being abused in that family situation. Uh, so this poor little girl whose circumstances... Uh, were hard and, and she found herself adopted out by a family who couldn't economically support her, uh, has now again found herself vulnerable. Uh, and many kids um, uh, who live in Indonesia, the age of Kezia, when circumstances like this happen, they find themselves out on the streets. Uh, there are thousands of children living on the streets in Manado, which is the city that I was in, um, and thousands of kids who are vulnerable and who are barely surviving and uh, are taken in by uh, usually criminals uh, who use them for their own, uh, for their own terrible circumstances, which I won't go into. Kezia was right at that point, right at that moment where her, uh, her second family, she'd been taken from her second family. Um, at that moment, it could have gone one of two ways. But her local church... Uh, through the Compassion Program, stepped in. And at that point where they stepped in, uh, they, they cared for her, they care about her circumstances. There's a lovely lady in the church, and it's the lady you can see standing behind Kezia um, with a yellow T-shirt. She's actually a teacher at Kezia's school, as well as a member of the local church. Um, she was the one that um, helped the church to know about the circumstances. Um, Kezia now lives with her. Uh, that lady lost her husband a few years ago. Her daughters have grown up and moved out. Um, and so these two 
these two women living together, a young woman and an older woman living together. And it's wonderful. We, we had the opportunity of visiting Kezia on, the, on that day, um, hearing her story, hearing the circumstances she was living in, um, and praising God f- that he cares about the widow and the orphan. Uh, and he does that through his church. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and as I said, Deuteronomy captures exactly that, captures stories like Kezia's. So here are the people of Israel. Now, that's, that's actually what the um, promised land looks like today. They didn't have the buildings when they were standing there looking at it. Uh, but uh, that was the, the picture that they had. And God was giving them a whole lot of instructions, but he gave them specific instructions about those who lived in the land who were poor. And uh, as we, we read in Deuteronomy 24, uh, the instruction was, if you are a landowner in the field... When you thresh your grain, some of it's going to fall and you won't gather it. Do not go back and gather that up. Whatever falls on the ground is not yours. If you own vineyards and you are picking the grapes, you are going to miss some of the bunches as you go through. Do not go back a second time and pick those grapes. What's left on those vines, even though it's on your land, they are not yours. And the same for the olives. They are God's provision for those in need. Now, can you imagine if you were somebody living in Israel who was a widow so, or was an orphan or was a stranger, which means you didn't have land. You had no way to sustain yourself. Can you imagine living in a land where there is provision for you? That the God of these people cares about you so much that he provides for you. What a wonderful comfort and joy to know that there's a God like that in in their land. Um, And so God enshrines that in law to ensure that uh, the people, that that the widow and the orphan are cared for so that his character and his purposes uh, are shown in that. Tragically, though, we know that the people of Israel didn't obey the law. For the people of Israel... The law was an obligation. Uh, it, it wasn't a willing act of obedience. See, God had even told the people of Israel why he was doing it. He didn't just give them a law with no context. God says, and if you, if you have your Bibles open, um, verse 18 in, Ge- in Deuteronomy 24, God says, I'm going to tell you why I'm setting this law up. Remember Egypt. Okay? One generation ago, your parents were slaves in Egypt. At their most desperate point, at the point where they they could not survive, they cried out to me for help. They cried out to me for rescue. 
heard their cry. And I rescued them. I redeemed them from their circumstances. Because that is the kind of God I am. I am a redeeming God. And we know that because God's ultimate act of redemption is to rescue us from our own sin. So God enshrines in law for the people of Israel a circumstance where they care and they rescue and they redeem those who are helpless, just like God rescued and redeemed them when they were helpless. And he reminds them of that. Verse 18, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God, your God, redeemed you from there. That is why I'm commanding you to do this. But as I said, the people of Israel didn't, they, they didn't regard that. They didn't remember that. Greed took over. Um, so they're, they're, they sinned by omission. They sinned by not caring for those in need. They sinned by being unjust to them, the very things that God warned them against. Um, and we find ourselves in a circumstance where, a hopeless circumstance, God's done this wonderful thing for us, and yet through our sinfulness, we cannot or we do not live as he intends. What does God do in that? Well, we know that he judged the people of Israel. In fact, he, he identifies as one of the key reasons that he is judging them this very thing um, as a signal that they don't have his heart, that they don't love the things that he loves. So what does God do in that circumstance? He could just give up on the people of Israel. Just wipe them out, start again. We know that he does judge because he's a God who judges and that his standards mean something. But God does something miraculous in that circumstance that fits completely with his character. The prophet Ezekiel, who, was, uh, who lived after um, the, the people of Israel had been in the land and they had been overturned in the land as judgment of God, the prophet Ezekiel identifies a new work that God is doing, a change that God is bringing. He says, he says this, he, God, Ezekiel recognises that the hearts of man will never follow the hearts of God on their own. And so he starts to foreshadow a much bigger act of redemption that God is doing, a much bigger work. This is what he says. I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. What is that? I will put my spirit within you that causes you to walk 
according to my statutes and to carefully observe my ordinances. What a, what a remarkable thing that God does for us. He changes our selfish hearts that ignore those in need and ignore him and ignore his purposes and ignore his concerns. And he breaks that by giving us his own heart. And we know that what Ezekiel was talking about is Jesus. And at the moment of Jesus' death, that new covenant came and that new opportunity comes where we can be in Christ. And Jesus demonstrates that's true by his resurrection. That there is life beyond death. And so we find ourselves today in a completely different situation to the people of Israel. We don't need to be commanded to care for the poor. We don't have to have it as a law to follow because as followers of Jesus, we actually have it in our hearts. We want to do it. We want to be caring. When we see a child in need, our heart breaks now as God's heart breaks. And God in his wonderful goodness has enabled us as his church to actually be part of caring for those children and showing them how true and how wonderful he is and what his spirit actually is. So the people of Israel were reminded to remember Egypt. For us, it's something entirely different. It's not remember Egypt and the redemption that came there. It's remember Jesus and the redemption and the freedom that he brings us, the freedom to live as he intends, to have his heart in us. Now, the um, most famous Bible verse is John 3.16, isn't it? God loved the world so much he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. It speaks of God's love for us. The same author, John, wrote a letter, in fact, wrote a number of letters, and in his first letter, remarkably, in John, 1 John 3, 16 and 17, John picks up that same idea. And in, in the whole of that, that chapter of, of 1 John 3, he's been talking about the love of Jesus and talking about uh, what God's love for us looks like is, is Jesus' sacrifice. Um, but he goes on to talk about us in that and how we respond. This is, this is what he says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. There's an application here for us. How do we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters the way that Jesus laid down his love? How do we have that same love that he has? If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words and speech, 
but with actions and in truth. What is God saying here? He's saying, if you have my heart, my heart of compassion, you will have a heart of compassion too. Not out of compulsion, not out of obligation. It will be naturally something that flows from you. And I I find this part of the verse very confronting. If you don't have that, you actually have to question if you have the heart of God. This awesome young man's name is Pascal. He lives in Indonesia as well, uh, also in Manado City, uh, same place as Kezia lives. Uh, And that's his dad. Uh, And where they are standing is in their house. And you can see there's not a lot of room. Pascal's quite tall. Um, and his, his head is touching the ceiling. That's just kind of like a little uh, covered veranda on their house there. Uh, it's a shop. It's actually... Do you guys remember a general store? The general store, the idea of the corner shop? Okay, they still have that in Indonesia. Um, and uh, it's, it's in somebody's house, and they have very basic um, provisions for their neighbours. And so the neighbours can come and buy, buy things for them. Um, they live there and they, uh, Pascal's dad works there, didn't always work there. Pascal's dad was a driver, which is a really um, common role in Indonesia. Um, but he was diagnosed with, with diabetes and had to give up that work uh, eight years ago when Pascal was an eight-year-old. And uh, the family's circumstances were thrown into turmoil at that point because dad was not trained to do anything else. Their local church ran a compassion program that Pascal went to, um, heard of their circumstances, and went into action out of the love of Jesus and enabled that family, gave them a head start to enable them to have this small business. Uh, Now, Pascal's circumstances changed that day. His dad was terrified that as he lost his job, Pascal was going to be taken uh, into the world of many of the kids in similar circumstances down around and into the gangs. And, and he was eight years old, so he was highly vulnerable. But Pascal's dad, through an, a translator and through tears, told me of what the church did for him that day. Um, and look at the joy there. Um, one of the, thing, the other things we discovered about Pascal... Um, that's just just starting to come to the surface, is that he has a passion for cooking. Um, And uh, through uh, his local church and through the Compassion Program, we've actually enabled him to do a vocation program in one of the big motels in town. Um, And so on the day that we went to visit him, he cooked for us. Um, Genuine Nazi goring. It was amazing and delicious and very hot. (laughs) Very hot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he told me he cooled it down for us. Um, have a look on his face. Look at the look on his face. Um, he's a young man who loves Jesus um, and has a really bright future ahead of him and has a bright future, and that has come solely because of God's work in his life through the local church and compassion. It's a beautiful thing to see and to experience. Look, as, as I speak 
this morning I'm about to, about to finish. Uh, there, there are many of you who um, already sponsor children. Um, and I had a wonderful conversation with Bernadette. Where are you, Bernadette? There she is. Uh, this morning about how what a blessing that has been to her and her family. Um, something that people often don't know. Actually, sponsoring children is a blessing to our family. But it makes sense, doesn't it? If we are living out God's plan and intention uh, and his character and his heart through us, then it will be a blessing. Of course it will be a blessing. Uh, so some of you this morning will be, will be sitting here going, I've never done that. I've never sponsored a child. I've never done that. Today could be the day that that changes. Uh, for, for others of you, you, you may say, we sponsor a child, but actually we could generously stretch. We could stretch and actually bring another child into our family, not just one. And I I've, I've have sitting on the table out in the morning tea area um, some profiles of children uh, who are waiting to be sponsored. All of those kids, and I brought 10 kids with me, all of those kids come from the area of Indonesia that we've been talking about because a year ago in conversations with Rob, we said, let's focus in on one area. And so we chose Indonesia because they're our neighbours. That's why we chose them. Uh, so I want to encourage you this morning that today is the day you choose to sponsor a child. $12 a week. That's coffee and a piece of cake. I can give up coffee and a piece of cake each week. But it changes the whole life for a child and for their family. I want to finish by showing you... Um, this is very, it's a wonderful story. The moment a little girl called Asti, who's also from Indonesia, finds out that she has a sponsor. And I'll finish with that. Tuhan akan memberikan yang terbaik buat keluarga ini. Ada sukacita. Asti keluarganya Asti mendapat sponsor dan ini surat dari sponsor yang buat Asti. Terima kasih banyak bawa anak saya baik saya kasih masuk PPA saya hari ini saya bangga sekali tapi Tuhan yang balas saya tidak mampu balas tapi Tuhan yang balas tidak pernah saya mimpi bahwa sponsornya hati hari ini ada tapi saya bangga sekali sehingga saya jatuh air mata terima kasih banyak mereka anak-anak itu merasa dekat dengan sponsornya dan jadi ketika mereka mimpi
Awesome. There's uh, heaps for us to think about in light of that. Um, what we're going to do is uh, finish our time by singing together only a holy God. And so as we reflect on the words of this song, we're reflecting really on the God who is 